Good morning, CCF. Uh, this morning's message will be in John chapter 17. We'll be in verses 1 through 20 this morning. Please join me in John chapter 17. And we're going to be beginning in verse 1 this morning. John chapter 17, verse 1. I'll, I'll read through verse 5 right now. It says, When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, to, and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over our flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, thank you so much again to be able to be, that we could be in your word together as a church virtually during this time. I know that we are all uh, cooped up in need of, of haircuts and things like that, but we just want to thank you for your rich goodness in this time of uh, of being in the wilderness, so to speak, that we can be in your word together, that we can be praying together, that we can be connecting virtually throughout the week. And so we first of all just want to praise you and give you glory for all your goodness and the mercies that you've given us during this time. We do continue to ask for your hand upon our nation and on the world that you'd have mercy upon us, Lord, that many would come to know you and realize that this life is coming to an end and that your eternal life is offered through Jesus Christ. And so, God, we ask that as we open up your word here, as we ponder these words and more out of John 17, that we would see your heart, Father, that we would be blessed, that we would know you and love you richly and deeply, Lord, as you've loved us. And so, Lord, now we just commit our time. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. John 17 is really a dramatic shift from the previous chapters. In John chapter 13, uh, Jesus begins to speak to his disciples on the night before he was going to be executed. Um, it's in, the, in one of the upper rooms. He starts in John 13, and, and it's during the Last Supper that he starts to um, just basically tell the disciples um, everything that's, that, that's going on, that he is going to be leaving them and, and what was about to transpire. And he, that, that conversation goes from John 13 all the way through John chapter uh, 16. And, and now in John 17 chapter 1, it shifts. It says, when, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven. So Jesus begins to pray. John 13 began in the upper room and John 17 is somewhere possibly even in the Garden of Gethsemane already. And Jesus is now lifting up his eyes to heaven to pray to the Father. And so after all that John had, uh, Jesus had said, um, now Jesus begins to pray. And although Jesus spent a lot of time uh, spends a lot of time in chapter 17 praying for his disciples. The very first thing that Jesus prays for is a request for himself. And I know that might seem a little selfish in the beginning, but you're going to see it's not. Jesus says there, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son. Why? That the Son may glorify you. Jesus begins his prayer with the hour has come. 
over and over again through the Gospels, if you've been following along, or at least the Gospel of John, we see that Jesus says, my hour has not yet come. My hour has not yet come. And um, what in the world is Jesus talking about, the hour? Uh, The hour is actually referring to the Father's plan that through Jesus, he would redeem the world. And so Jesus is talking about his soon death and resurrection. And that through man's uh, through mankind's faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, it was the Father's plan that we would be redeemed. And so you see, this was God's plan, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that hour had come. The time had come. Jesus was going to the cross. And the Son's glory in that hour would result in the Father's glory. And so in verse 2, Jesus says, well, he says, glorify me that I may glorify you. Since, verse 2, you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. The Son was sent by the Father into this world to give eternal life to those the Father had given him. And Jesus alone has authority to give eternal life. And Jesus only gives eternal life to those the Father has given him. The Father is sovereign in salvation. The Father is sovereign in salvation. Just as you have uh, no say on your own birth, you do not have your own say in the rebirth, the new birth. And Paul rejoices in this fact. I know it's a point of contention with the church, but when you look at it from the perspective of scriptures, it's a, it's a time to rejoice. Paul rejoices in Ephesians 1 in this fact that the Father is sovereign over election, over, over choosing those who'd be saved. And he worships the Father in Ephesians 1 verses 3 through 6, where he said, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even, verse 4, as he chose us in him, when did that happen? Before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. That choosing happened before the foundations of the world. And he goes on, he goes, in love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons, you can put it, and daughters in there, through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the beloved. What an absolutely astounding statement that Paul puts out, praising God that he chose us in Christ before the foundations of the world, that it was his plan to redeem us who believe in Christ. And so Jesus says there, glorify, uh, glorify your son, that he may glorify you because you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And the question is, well, how, how do I know that I have been granted eternal life? Well, here's the great thing. Seems like it's, well, it seems like it's out of my, my, my grasp here at the beginning, but place what you do is you just place your total trust in him right now. Believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross, rose again for you. 
Believe it right now. We know that the scriptures say that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so the invitation goes out. It's going out to you right now, going out to your family members, going out into the world, that anyone who believes upon Jesus Christ shall be saved. So the invitation is there. And we also know at the same time that those who believe, we find out the Father has, we're the ones that the Father has given the Son to give them eternal life. Now, like what Pastor Chuck Smith said, said, well, how do you know if you're chosen? Well, choose him. And then you find out you were chosen before the foundations of the earth. Verse three, and this is eternal life. You see, Jesus came to give eternal life. Well, what is it? And this is eternal life, verse three, that they would know you, Jesus prays, the one true God, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Eternal life is not the result of an emotional prayer prayed at a camp when you were a teenager after an inspirational speech followed by a life of of Christ rejection and, and God rejection. That is not eternal life because you had an emotional experience. Now, I'm not discounting the fact that you can you can uh, hear the gospel and receive the gospel and have a time of being away from the Lord. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that it doesn't come from an emotional experience. Uh, salvation comes through a person, and that person is Jesus Christ. And he is the one who grants that you can have salvation, that you would have salvation through faith in him, through faith in his death on your behalf to forgive you of your sins and his resurrection, that you would overcome death in him. And that eternal life is described by Jesus here as an unending relationship of, with, of love with God, to know God. That's what he says. This is eternal life, to know God, to know the Father, to know the Son. Eternal life is to enter in by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, to enter into their fellowship, to the fellowship of the Father and the Son which they had with each other before the world began. We'll get into that in a little bit. An eternal relationship of love. You know, the Greek word here for know is, uh, is not just a... Um, it's not just an intellectual knowledge. It's not just knowing about God. It's, it's used in the Bible to describe a, uh, a relationship between a husband and wife, both intimately but also relationally, in that a husband and a wife, they, they know each other deeply. They know each other. They know things about each other. The idea here is that uh, they don't just know about each other. They know, um, who, they know what the other person is like. They know what they're thinking. They know what they're feeling uh, they know what they like, they know what they dislike, they know what grieves them, they know um, all these types of things, the things that bless them. So you kind of get the idea of this knowing. It's an intimate knowledge. And Jesus Christ came because we were incapable of knowing God. We were incapable of entering into that relationship. We were spiritually dead. But Jesus came to give us life. And that life is shown in that we now know God through Jesus Christ. What grace, what mercy, what wisdom God had in revealing himself to us that we'd be drawn in by grace to this relationship through Jesus. And so Jesus, through his death and resurrection, he made the way for us to know God, to know him, not just about him, 
perhaps you've grown up in a church setting or a religious setting where you knew a lot about God. You knew, you know, when to go to church, what to do, what not to do. Um, you knew what clothes to wear, what not to say. But, you know, when, as soon as you walk out the door of church, you're, you're just who you are. You see, you, do, you don't know God. But see, when you know God, you, you realize that he's beyond the four walls of the church. And your life reflects it. And he's with you everywhere you go. And you're thinking about him, what pleases him, what uh, brings him glory. You're, you're, you're looking at creation through the lens of his handiwork. And you're in this love relationship with him that will never end in Christ Jesus. It will have no end. It is everlasting life. And that's what Jesus came to accomplish to bring you into that intimate relationship with God through his death. It cost him everything. It cost him his life to pay for your sin, to pay for my sin, that you would be forgiven and in love draw you to the Father. And Jesus came to accomplish that. Verse 4, I, came, I glorified you on earth, Jesus says to the Father, having accomplished the work you gave me to do. Verse 5, and now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory I had with you before the world existed. Jesus just let his disciples in who are listening um, to Jesus pray on something they probably had no idea of. Um, and us as well, probably. You know, the veil of eternity past just got pulled uh, open and they got a glimpse into the relationship of God the Father and God the Son from before they ever existed, from before we ever existed, before the world was. What was that relationship like? It was a relationship where the Father and the Son were together and there was glory. They shared in glory. And we get glimpses of that glory restored in Revelation at the end of it. But John 1, 1 gives us a glimpse a little bit, if we remember all the way back in John chapter 1. Uh, verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. The Word, that is God the Son, existed with God. That is face to face with the Father. The Father and the Son were face to face before the worlds began, before Everything existed. They were. They were eternal. And Jesus says, I glorified you on earth, Father. Now glorify me in your presence with the glory that we shared before the world existed. And here's the amazing thing, as I already alluded to a little bit. Here's the thing that just blows me away, is that the Son of God, we see this from Hebrews and Colossians and other places, he left glory. He condescended to earth. He came down to accomplish the will of the Father in redeeming a people who would then be brought out of the world by faith in the Son, whose citizenship would now be in heaven, and they would share in all eternity when that relationship that the Father and the Son had always had. How amazing is that? And in John 17 here, Jesus is about to be lifted up. Jesus is ab about to be crucified. But he is also about to be raised from the dead and ascend to the right hand of the Father. 
And through faith in Christ, we are brought into that eternal relationship with him where in Christ uh, we are seated with him and in him we have all these spiritual blessings, every spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus. And now Jesus, after praying that he would be glorified as the plan of a redemption was just about to happen, was just moments away, hours away here, as that relationship, as that uh, plan of redemption was at its zenith here, Jesus now shifts his prayer to the focus of those being redeemed. He focuses and starts asking the Father uh, um, to do various things on behalf of those who would be redeemed, mainly his apostles, starting with his apostles here. In verse 6, Jesus says, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world, world being an idiom for this world, the system of sin and darkness ruled by Satan. Um, Jesus says, hey, I have manifested your name to people whom you gave me out of this world. What does that mean? Remember last week we spoke about um, the significance of the disciples asking the, the Father in Jesus' name. Jesus said, hey, you haven't asked up to this point, you haven't asked the Father anything up to this point because I've been with you, basically. He says, now ask the Father anything in my name and he will do it for you. And remember, the idea of asking in his name, as Jesus says, I have manifested your name to them, the idea of the name is that everything that is in accordance with that name, that Jesus' character, his will, his teachings, his life, are all resembled in his name. When you think of Jesus, that is what you, what you think of. And so the idea is that the disciples were asking according to his will and character. And Jesus says here, I manifested your name, Father, to them. All that you are, all that you desire, all that you seek. And we know that the Father and the Son are one. And Jesus says here, I manifested your name to him. I've revealed you to them. I've revealed the Father to the disciples. Jesus revealed the Father to the disciples. Remember back in John 14, uh, where Jesus was speaking to the disciples about leaving. He says, I'm, I'm going to leave. And this is, again, in the upper room. And Thomas asks, how do we know where you're going? And Jesus says to him, uh, you see this in, in verse 6 of John 14, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And Jesus says in verse 7, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And that just flips him out there. Philip says in verse 8, Lord, show us the Father, and it's enough for us. I mean, great request there. And Jesus answers in verse 9 of John 14 says, Have I been with you so long that you don't recognize me? You still don't know me? Philip, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? You see, Christ manifested the Father's name. He manifested who the Father was to them. You gave them to me, Jesus said. I manifested my name to you, and they have kept your word. And Jesus says to those disciples, or about those disciples, that I manifested your name to them, Father, and they have kept your word. If you remember in Matthew 13, the parable of the sower, 
um, you have the four types of seed, uh, four types of soil, and, and seed was scattered on these different types of soil that represent different types of hearts, and one was the hard ground, one was the stony ground, one was the thorny ground, and then one was the, the, uh, was, was the good soil, which represents the heart that took in the word and wasn't choked out or, or stopped growing because of persecution or taken away by the enemy. It was one that allowed the word to go down and produce a harvest, a harvest of righteousness, Christ-likeness. You see, all but one kept the word. And Jesus says, these disciples, they have kept your word. I proclaimed your name to them. They have kept your word and it's producing fruit. The disciples kept his word. And as a result, verse 7 happened. And now they know that everything you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in the truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. And so Jesus gave them the word from the Father. They received the word Uh, They received the word of God in their hearts and they believed in Christ that he was sent from the Father. And really, that's that's what a true believer church is. They believe in the gospel. The gospel. That the Son of God was sent by the Father to redeem us through his death and resurrection. That's what they believed in. And Jesus says of those those disciples who believed in that room, In verse 9, he says, I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. Think about that for a second. I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. I happened to come across a, a devotion this week as I was on YouTube um, it was someone uh, giving a, a, a Bible study of sorts. And um, the, the context was obviously the coronavirus. And they're saying, hey, we're all God's children. We're going to get through it. You know, I, I understand the sentiment. But no, I have to break it to the world that we are not all God's children. We're not all God's children. Just here, Jesus here in verse 9, he makes a distinction between those who are the fathers and those who are not. Those who are God's and those who are not. Jesus is praying for those who have been given the gospel, who receive the gospel and believe um, that the Father sent the Son to redeem them. Those are the ones who are God's. Those are the ones who are born again into God's family. Those are the ones who are the sons and daughters of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Those are the daughters and sons of the Most High. Those are the ones who are God's, born again. And Jesus says of them to the Father, in verse 10, all mine are yours and yours are mine and I'm glorified in them. These disciples of mine are yours, and what's yours is mine, and I'm glorified in them. And I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I'm coming to you. And here's Jesus' prayer to his Father for them as he knows he's leaving the earth. Jesus says, Holy Father, to those believers, says, Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. 
You know, just a few verses earlier in verse 6, Jesus, we just went over it, but Jesus says, I have manifested your name to them, and they have kept your word, right? And Jesus says, I'm coming to you now. I'm leaving them. And just as they are mine, they're yours. Keep them in your name. Keep them, Father. Keep them in your name, the ones that you've given me. It's interesting here that Jesus says uh, to keep them in your name, the name that you have given me. Um, Jesus bears the name of the Father. We alluded to it earlier, but in one sense, Jesus' name actually means uh, Jehovah is salvation. Jehovah being the name of God is salvation. Um, if The name Jesus is actually Joshua, Yeshua in Hebrew, and that means Jehovah is salvation. We've kind of anglicized it there. Uh, with the name Jesus. And so Jesus' very name, his name points to the Father who saves. But in another sense, we know that um, Hebrews 1 says that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. And so Jesus can be saying here, keep them in you. Keep them in your name, which I have. In other words, you and I are one. I have represented you exactly to them, and they have believed in me, believing in you. Keep them. I'm coming to you now, Father. I'm not going to be with them anymore. Keep them. Keep them in your name. I love what Philippians 1, 6, uh, which says, He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. I love that. Um, or Jude, verse 24, only one chapter in Jude, verse 24 says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. And so just all this dependence on the sovereignty of God to keep us in Christ Jesus. I love that and fall upon that. I tell you, church, Jesus is praying as he is about to die that the Father would keep them. Verse 12, while I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scriptures might be fulfilled. While Jesus was with them, he protected them. He protected them from the Jews, from persecution, from all that was going on. And, from, and, and all of them were kept except for Judas, who was about to be which is referred to here, by the way, as the son of destruction, uh, who was about to betray Jesus momentarily with a kiss. And that was all according to Scripture. God knew that would happen. Verse 13, But now I'm coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. You see, the disciples were listening. They were listening to Jesus pray to the Father, and Jesus wanted them to know that with everything that was going to come on, with the betrayal of Judas, with the um, hatred of the world that was going to come at them because they hated Christ, Jesus is going to speak about that in a second. He wanted them to have joy, knowing that just as Jesus was with them and protected them, that now the Father would be with them, watching over them, and would keep them, not necessarily from, from, from persecution, but from their faith faltering. And I think that is so important. And the disciples are, 
should have absolute joy in knowing that. God is keeping them. And so Jesus says to them in verse 14, I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. You see, they were born again. They were no longer of this world. Their citizenship was not here. It was with Christ, seated with Christ in the heavenlies. It was in Christ Jesus, in heaven, with the Father. That's where their heart was. That's where their home was. That's where their citizenship was. And just as, the, as Jesus was not of this world, so the disciples were no longer of this world. They were born again, born into the kingdom of God, born out of this world into his, and the world would hate them for it as Christ was in them. And I love how Jesus prays for them as with all the hatred and rejection that was going to come their way, as most of them would lose their lives in martyrdom, Jesus prays for them. In verse 15, he says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Wow, that's, that's amazing. You see, they were the plan. The apostles were the plan. Jesus says, Father, I'm not praying that you remove them from this difficulty. I'm praying that you would keep them in it. Keep them from the evil one while they are going through this, while they are fulfilling your will in the world. And so Christ would soon leave. He would ascend and then he would be at the right hand of the Father and the Father would send the Spirit, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, all synonymous, would come and indwell them, indwell the believer. And as Christ would be in them, he, they would, uh, would empower them to be the witness that Christ was to this world. And we see this in Acts chapter 2 as Peter, who had denied uh, everybody uh, just a few short weeks before, is now proclaiming Christ in front of those same people that he ran away from earlier. The power of the Holy Spirit in the believer, witnessing of Christ to the world. And Father, uh, Jesus is saying, Father, I'm praying that you don't take them out, but that you keep them from the evil one. And the same is for us, amen? That we would be in the world, busy about his will, being a witness for Christ, yet not being of it. We see a glimpse into this spiritual warfare that was taking place behind the scenes that only the, really the Lord Jesus knew about. And he tells Peter about it in Luke chapter 22, verses 31 through 32, where Jesus says to Peter, Simon, Simon, Behold, Satan has demanded to have you that he might sift you as wheat. I mean, Satan came to God asking for Peter, demanding for Peter apparently, that he would take him and sift him as wheat. You see, the evil one, he desires to kill and destroy those who are God's. He's after him. He was after Peter, but praise God, the, the verse doesn't end there in verse 31. Jesus says in verse 32, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, when you've turned again, strengthen your brothers. And Peter would succumb to temptation. He would deny Jesus three times. He would flee but what happened? Jesus prayed that his faith would not fail. And Jesus restored him there on the banks 
of the, um, uh, of the Sea of Galilee. And from there, Jesus said, feed my sheep, tend my lambs, feed my sheep. If you love me, do these things. And Peter would go on to strengthen his brothers, and that would be his ministry, the ministry of the Word of God, strengthening uh, the, the church of God. You know, the Father delivered him from the evil one. He kept him. And so the Lord will keep you as he is so gracious to do. Verse 16, Jesus says of his apostles, his disciples there, they, they are not of this world just as I am not of this world. And so sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. You know, the word sanctify there, it means to set apart for the purposes of God. And the idea is that in the temple in the Old Testament, there would be items and, and, and things that would be used just specifically for the purposes of worship in God's temple. In other words, you wouldn't take a fork that was supposed to be used for a ceremony and use it on your, on your regular dinner plate. It was set apart. It was for God's purposes. It wasn't common. And here Jesus says, the disciples are not of the world. These, these men who've received your word, who've believed in me, believe the gospel, they've been born again. They are not of this world. And just as I am not of this world, sanctify them, set them apart for, my, for your purposes in the truth. And, and just in case this world doesn't know what truth is, your word is truth. His word is truth. The word of God is truth. And that's so important. This is how the disciples were to be set apart. That through the truth of the word of God, getting into their soul, getting into their being, getting into their mind, washing over their thoughts, as they began to, by the power of the Holy Spirit within them, working through the scriptures, they would begin to understand the heart, the mind, they would, they would know God. And as they began to know God, their, their actions and their lives and their attitudes and their direction of the way they wanted to go and things would be shaped and formed according to his will. They'd be sanctified, set apart in truth. It's a Psalm 1 situation. Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. And the idea is that there's a preoccupation with the word of God. There's a preoccupation with, with his word being in us. And let me say that it is often a fight to be in his word because there's so many other things pulling at you, pulling at me right now, um, that we would be men and women who are not guided and directed by what's going on in the news all the time. We would be not men and women who are not guided and directed by um, what everybody else thinks we should do and what's going on, but that we would be sanctified in truth by what God says we should be doing as his church, as his sons and daughters right now. That we would gain wisdom from his throne and know how to navigate these times, that we would be set apart for his purposes in this season, just as Esther was. And so Jesus prays, his prayer is that though, is that through the word of God in them, they would be set apart for his purposes. And let me say that there are so many um, 
people out there that are, are teaching supposedly the word of God, but it's not. It's a self-centered word. It's all about you. And, and you know that that's wrong because it's all about him. It's all about his glory. It's to be all about, all about denying yourself, picking up your cross, following him. Um, just as Jesus uh, went to the cross, we are to go to the cross daily. We're to die daily and follow him. And so his word will teach us to not sit and walk and stand with sinners and, the, and scoffers and all these things, but we will rather meditate and receive his wisdom on how to navigate our lives according to his word by his Holy Spirit empowering us in this life. And so Jesus said, sanctify your disciples. Sanctify these men. I'm leaving. Sanctify them through your truth. Set them apart for your purposes, Lord. Keep them in that. Well, what was his purpose for them? Verse 18, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. They were set apart from the world to be sent into the world. Not to be in it. I mean, not to be of it, but to be in it, to be a Christ-honoring, Christ-influencing, God-glorifying influence within the world, directing people towards Jesus Christ. The disciples were the plan. They were set apart for God's pleasure and his glory, and just as Jesus was sent, so Jesus sent them into the world, the same world that rejected and hated him they would be sent into. And Jesus says in verse 19, and for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. It was because Jesus first obeyed the Father and went to the cross and that the disciples would be able to then follow obeying God. Jesus sanctified himself that they would be sanctified. They would be set apart and glorify God. And so just, so Jesus glorified the Father through his obedience. So the disciples would glorify the Father through their obedience. And as we look at Jesus' prayer here, just closing up and kind of recapping, Jesus prays, that they would be kept in his name. Jesus prays that they would be sanctified in truth, that they'd be kept from the evil one. And Jesus prays that as they're sent in the world, um, they would be pure in doing it. And the result of this, of all of what Jesus is praying, that they would be set apart, that they would be kept from the evil one, that they'd be purified by truth, that they would be in the world but not of it. As Jesus is praying like this for his disciples, his 11 who remained there, the result is verse 20 if you look in your Bible, which we're gonna get to next week, that there would be those who will believe in Jesus through their word. That's pretty awesome. And that's us. And that's us. Jesus' prayer was answered. They were set apart. They were kept from the evil one. Uh, and they were sent into the world and they proclaimed the word of God just as Jesus did. And there were those who believed and we are a part of that spiritual lineage. We believe. We're reading the book of John right now. And we 
believe. How awesome is that? And I pray that that's you this morning, that you believe as well in Jesus Christ. And Jesus' prayer for those future believers in verse 21 was that we may all be one, just as the Father is in the Son and the Son is in the Father, that we would all be one. We would be unified in Christ Jesus. And that is summed up in a relationship of love. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey my commandment. And this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. That we would be one with one another in Christ, in God, the Father, in love. We're going to end our time in the word on that note. And as we do, we'll be taking communion. As we close our service, we're going to celebrate communion together. It's the first Sunday of the month, and as a church, we choose to remember the Lord's sacrifice to redeem us. And if you have your cracker and your juice together, we have the cracker, which represents the body of Christ, which was broken for us, and the blood of Christ, represented by the juice. Uh, Without the shedding of blood, there is no taking away our sins. And so through faith in Jesus Christ, through his finished work on the cross in the resurrection, we've been born again into the family of Christ. And we have been made one with the Father. We've been made one with Christ, and we've been made one with one another. And that was the Lord's prayer, that we would have unity in him in this love relationship that will go on past this earthly plane into all eternity where we will be one with him forever. And so let's celebrate and meditate upon his goodness towards us and that his body was broken for us and his blood was shed for us. Let's go ahead and take the cracker. And let's take the cup. And as we pray, let's remember that the Father himself loves you. What a powerful thing that the Father himself loves you. He loves us. And so let's celebrate our love for the Father in Christ Jesus right now. And let's pray. Father, we want to thank you so much again for your sacrificing your son on our behalf. That through his death and resurrection, Lord, we have eternal life. Our sins have been washed away. We have newness of life. We're made new in you. We're no longer under the power of sin and darkness and that dominion. We are children of the light. We pray, Lord, that we would be sanctified just as your disciples were by your truth, that you would keep us in you, that you'd keep us from the evil one, and that we too would be sent into this world to be light for this dark world that some might believe and that some would receive your son and be drawn in to the beautiful fellowship 
of eternal life with you. Thank you for letting us know you, Lord, and that that will never end, but continue to grow until we see you, Lord. And so we ask uh, for your blessing upon our church, upon your church that's gathered all throughout the world. And we ask, Lord, that we would all be a light as we love one another and spread your gospel and stand for truth in these dark times. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you. Uh, have a great week in the Lord. Take care.